You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Raina Margaret Ginton on the show with me today. And uh, she has a, an amazing new book. It's uh, just coming out. It's called My Name is Layla. And what a fantastic read. Um, I think you guys are really going to love this. Uh, welcome to the show, Raina. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited to have you. Um, Raina, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Wow. Um, so I'm not one of those people that always wanted to be an author. I always loved to write. And I was always you know, good at writing. And that kind of manifested itself in all sorts of ways growing up, um, you know, the school newspaper and things like that. Um, and then later on as part of my legal career. But um, I can't say I have a, a memory where I all of a sudden, you know, thought I want to be an author. Um, so I, th- I think that happens in different ways to different people, to be oh, honest. Absolutely, it does. We, we've done more than a, a thousand episodes of this show. And and there are a thousand you know, different answers to that question. Everyone has their own experience. Um, you you mentioned your your legal career. Um, what led you uh, to to study law and, and to practice? And was there a an epiphany moment where you knew that that was a path that you wanted to go on? Um, not really. I think I was more pretty typical of people my age. I'm in my mid 50s. And I think that, um, you know, now I've, I've met with a lot of young people who are becoming attorneys um, through the first book that I wrote. Um, I, I presented it at a bunch of law uh, law firms and a bunch of law schools, and they seem to have a much more strategic plan ahead of them. And I, I suppose a lot of that has to do with the economic environment that we find ourselves in now. Nobody's going to just, um, you know, kind of take a chance on anything. You want to feel like you know what you're doing and how it's going to go. Um, it wasn't really like that so much 30 years ago when I decided to go to law school. I was um, a liberal arts major. I majored in philosophy. And, you know, you, you can't really get a job as a philosopher. That's not not really a thing. So um, so I really was kind of looking out at the landscape of things that I could do. I wasn't particularly qualified to do anything. Um, but as I say, I, I knew that I wrote well and I knew that I had, a, you know, a general aptitude for things that involved a lot of reading. Um, so I decided to go to law school. I spent um, a summer uh, in law school. Um, doing work with kids that had been uh, victims of um, abuse, physical abuse and sexual abuse. And I kind of decided through doing that, that I, that might be an area that I was interested in, in practicing in. And that was sort of the first um, real job I had out of law school. I went to legal aid um, and worked with that population. So, you know, I kind of had an epiphany along the way about what sort of work I wanted to do and that I wanted to be sitting across the table from somebody and not necessarily working with, you know, large corporations or, um, you know, that kind of commercial work probably wasn't going to 
happened for me. Um, so I had that kind of epiphany. So that first degree that you got before going to grad school, um, a, a philosophy degree? It's just a, a BA, but in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel like that that your study of philosophy and, and getting that degree um, maybe has a tendency to bleed over into the work that you do now? Um, do, do you see any connection um, between what you're the writing that you're doing and and that sort of thing with uh, with that time that you sent that you spent studying philosophy? A little bit. I mean, I think certainly, you know, being disciplined and how you think about things and how you structure things um, is definitely a part of that. I think that there's a lot of focus on motivation when you're writing, why are your characters doing the things they're doing? What are they thinking when they do the things that they do? And certainly that kind of reasoning, um, I think I was familiar with from my studies. Um, but I think it was also very much, you know, it had, it had a place in time. <laughs> I, you know, sure. I, I didn't continue to study philosophy. I never considered going to grad school in that, for example. Um, so you know, it was something that I, I so enjoyed while I was studying it, but it was definitely, you know, it was a, it was a groundwork, but it wasn't something that I, I continued to um, study. You, you mentioned that, um, that you realized that, that you wanted to go into law, uh, because you, you could write well and that you enjoyed research and, um, and, and, you know, digging into things didn't scare you away. Um, I think a lot of young people, when they think about practicing law, they have a very different idea of what practicing law is, especially when we see TV shows and movies about lawyers and they're, you know, these these great lions of the courtroom. And, and you know, that's that's a, a for, from my discussions I've had with attorneys, that's a very small uh, percentage of your time uh, as an attorney did. Um, did that realize did you have that realization early on, you know, that, that this is going to be. Uh, something that uh, that requires a lot of reading and research. And and that's where the real work of an attorney comes. For me, yes. I mean, certainly there are areas of law that you can practice that will have more um, of the other. I I was more comfortable doing research, doing, um, you know, writing that came more naturally to me. I don't mind sort of the, you know, some of it has a kind of an an isolated um, you know, bent to it. And certainly when I was doing, I I did criminal appeals for almost 20 years. So that was definitely a more, um, you know, it was a more focused kind of work. And certainly I had colleagues, I did, I did it in an organization. So there were other attorneys to talk to and talk to about the issues. And we did also go into court to argue our cases, but, you know, the vast bulk of the work was really reading and thinking and researching and writing. And, yeah. you know, if that's not your thing, if you don't want to sit <laughs> on the computer and really, you know, write, then that's, that's not going to be good for you. So, um, you know, for me, it was great. I felt very comfortable with it. I liked the intellectual issues and, um, you know, and it also had other benefits. I mean, it lent itself. I had, you know, I had two children while I was at that job and, um, you know, it lent itself to a more balanced work-life situation than working in a big firm, for example. You spent a good bit, uh, a good bit of time working as an appellate attorney uh, for a, an, an, a, uh, a public defender's office. Is that right? Correct. That's, yes, that's those, what, what the work I was just describing. Yes. I'll 
I'll bet uh, that there were lots of stories that you got to collect along the way. There were lots of stories. And um, that job actually inspired my first book uh, called Unreasonable Doubts, which was yeah. a romantic legal thriller. Um, because I, I did, first of all, you're, you're reading all these transcripts. And that's basically like, you know, it's like reading a crime novel or watching a, a movie. Um, and the stories are all incredibly compelling, but they're all missing. They're missing a chunk, right? You, you only know what you know. You don't, you don't get past um, what's in the record. So like if I had a client, I would know everything that was in his trial testimony. I would know that backwards and forwards, but I didn't, there, I didn't actually speak with the, I spoke with the clients, but I didn't speak with them to find out more facts. I didn't know right. other motivations. I didn't find out their family history because none of that would be applicable on their appeal. Their appeal is only based on what the trial court saw and heard. So you know, it, it would have just been both a waste of time and, you know, kind of an overwhelming thing to kind of try to get into more of what was going on. But but you always knew, of course, there was much more going on. Like this didn't start with somebody shooting somebody or shooting <laughs> right. somebody. Right. There was a whole backstory there of who their, you know, fifth grade teacher was and whether they felt like they got paid attention to and what happened at home and what was going on in their love life. Like there was a whole series of questions that, you know, we never asked and, and were never answered. <laughs> and that kind of really led me to, you know, to thinking about writing fiction, just to answer those questions for myself. I mean, <laughs> I know I'm not answering the questions in reality, but, um, you know, but it had a certain satisfaction to it. If only you would have had an omniscient narrator who right. could have said, and little did Raina know that right. <laughs> in the other room, <laughs> You know, that, that that would have made you, that would have made your life so much easier, wouldn't it? For sure. So, Raina, you alluded to your your first book um, just a minute ago, "Unreasonable Doubts." Um, what was what was the the motivation for writing that book? Did did one day you just decide that your life needed a novel in it? And <laughs> um, you know what what was that uh, that that moment that that made you realize that this was something you wanted to do? So, you know, I had been thinking about, as you say, all these stories floating around in my head about the people that I had encountered in this job. And at some point uh, in 2014, I ended up leaving the job, um, not to become a writer, but just because, you know, sometimes after a while, and it had been almost 20 years, I just didn't feel like I could tell the story in the way they needed me to tell the story anymore, because it, you, you can't make up parts. <laughs> when when you're in that job, you can't make up anything and right. you have to be very persuasive. And I started to have not, not doubts about the work because the work is very necessary and everybody deserves a defense, of course, sure. but just um, doubts about whether I could tell the story. I was, I was a little bit burnt out, to be honest. So I left the job. I actually had no idea what I was going to do with my time. And I kind of started you know, doing all those things you always say you're going to do when you have time, right? You're going to, you know, join the gym. I took yoga classes. I tried piano lessons. I, you know, I did all sorts of things to try to see what would be fulfilling at this point if I didn't need to get another job right away. And um, at some point, a friend of mine said that she was taking a writing class at, uh, there's a college near me called Sarah Lawrence College. 
and they have a writing program for adults, um, not for credit, not for anything, just, you know, you go in and they have wonderful professors and all sorts of people that are interested in writing. Um, so she told me she was taking a memoir class and I decided to go with her, even though I knew that I wasn't planning on writing memoir. And memoir to me sounded very kind of highfalutin, <laughs> kind of like you have to be somebody with really an extraordinary life to feel that you should put down, you know, 300 pages and somebody else should read about it. Right. Um, but what I found out pretty quickly was that wasn't what the class was about for sure. And it was very much about isolating moments in your life and seeing how you could write about them that would be relatable to other people and that they might learn something about you, but also about what you had learned from the person or the experience that you were writing about. And I wrote a whole series. I took the class for a year. I wrote a whole series of small essays and memoir pieces, um, you know, about different people that I had known in my life. And when I was finished, I kind of looked at it and said, you know, in combination with my stories from my job, and some of these characters that I can kind of be inspired by, you know, maybe I could write something longer. Maybe I could really try to write fiction. I didn't want to write, you know, didn't want to write like a, a biography of my mother, but I did want to write a mother character that would be sure. inspired by my mother. And um, so that's what happened. I, I took another couple years and um, and I wrote Unreasonable Doubts. I, I think a, a lot of people, when they think memoir, um, you know, there needs to be uh, a heroin addiction. Someone needs to join the circus. <laughs> you know? well, or something really remarkable, right? You could be right. Barack Obama or you could be, you know, whatever. Then you're going to write your memoir and good for you. But, you know, the, the average person, although everybody's life has many lessons to teach, you know, is, is not going to sit down and write a memoir. Sure, sure. But the book that you did write, Unreasonable Doubts, um, this is, uh, while not necessarily a legal thriller, um, this this definitely has aspects of your your day job. I'm making air quotes here um, yeah. at the time was did that just seem like a uh, a natural extension of where you were in life and, and what you felt like you were an expert at um, that? Did you did was there just confidence built in? That, you know, this is the subject matter I can tackle because I'm, I mean, this is who I am. Right. Very, very much so. I mean, first of all, I had, you know, I had a lot of mixed feelings about having left the job. This was really, you know, as you say, it was who I am. And especially, I think, you know, and I, I don't want to make generalizations, but I think often for women who, you know, do work and try to be a, a good parent at home, you know, a lot of your identity is wrapped up in what that job is that you do outside of the home. And right. when that when that ends, for whatever reason, whether you leave voluntarily, as I did, or it ends for some other reason, you know, you're kind of left saying like, wow, like, who, you know, who am I now? What I, I'm a criminal defense attorney, and now I'm not a criminal defense attorney anymore. So, you know, I had a lot of mixed emotions. Um, in the book, the protagonist kind of gets a little bit accused of being burnt out <laughs> and kind of told to, you know, you better toughen up and recommit to the mission or, you know, you're going to be out of a job. And, you know, it, it was a little therapeutic to write that character, you know, to see what what happens to her. What, how does she kind of decide to try to re-up herself in this job and where does it go? And um, so... It had that element. And definitely, as you say, like I, I was very conversant in the criminal law. I based 
um, the there's a case that gets followed throughout the book. And I based that on a case that I had had as an appellate attorney, somebody that I represented. So I knew very well the legal aspects of his case. Um, and that made writing it in a fictional way easy for me. I mean, there were, you know, there were stretches in the book of, um, not stretches, but, you know, there were, there were some pages of trial transcripts where I could have told you in my sleep what the judge said and what the defendant said and what defense counsel said and what the prosecutor said. And, you know, that's how it came out when I was writing it. It was, you know, it was like, wow, I, you know, I can write this because I've been reading this for 20 years. And, um, you know, so in that way, it was, it was kind of a transitional book for me, but I, I think, you know, people enjoyed it and, and it had a lot of real life kind of accuracy and grit to it because that was what I had been living. So um, when you when you finish that first novel, uh, something happens uh, in the mind of a writer or in our um, there's a, a, a self-confidence that comes with finishing um, something and uh, and, you know, tackling a project, going from beginning to end, putting it out to the world, you know, getting feedback from people. But it you know, once it's out there, it's out there. There's there's no. Um, I started to say there's no going back and changing, but lots of authors have proven that they can do that over the years. But, you know, that it exists, you know, out there. And and then comes what you follow that up with. And um, it, it's an interesting thing that happens with first time authors because no one expects anything from you. Uh, no one, you maybe only a handful of family members or friends know that you're even doing it. Um, but once that book is out there, then a follow-up is a very different thing for a lot of writers. Um, you chose uh, for your follow-up the book that we're talking about today. My name is Layla, and uh, which is which is freshly out. Congratulations, by the way. And um, how did you decide? Because this book is a is a departure from the subject matter of your first book. Um, what was it about this story? that uh, that nagged and tugged at you and, and demanded to be told? So it, it is completely different. In some ways, there are, there are some elements that kind of do follow through. Um, Lail is a story of a 13-year-old girl, um, so obviously a very different demographic for the protagonist. And she has um, kind of a complicated family life. And that's not dissimilar to the clients that I had and the work that I was doing. Um, she is growing up with a mother, who, a single mother who's an ER nurse, and she's working all the time, basically. And she works the night shift. So she's not there in the, in the same hours. She's not awake when Layla is. And, um, and that turns out to be kind of difficult, even though, you know, obviously this goes on in lots of families. <laughs> And, you know, you kind of hope that maybe there's another parent or another adult around that's picking up the slack. And in, in my book, the person that's picking up the slack is her older brother, um, who does a pretty good job, except that he's also a kid. He's he's a senior in high school and he's, um, you know, he's got his own issues and things that he's trying to accomplish and deal with. So, um so Layla, a little bit is falling through the cracks. And, you know, as I say, I did I did represent. Um, kids who were accused of acts that would be criminal. And we, we used to call it juvenile delinquency. I, I, I used that term the other day with my sister and she was like, do they still call it juvenile delinquency? And I was like, hey, you know, you're, I don't know. You're right. That was 30 years ago. Maybe that's like not a, 
in vogue term anymore, but, um, but, you know, I did represent kids that got in trouble with the law and, um, Layla doesn't get in trouble with the law, but she does have kind of a destructive moment. That's, you know, I think a, a fairly typical cry for help, but, um, but that's what really I was interested in. I was trying to represent, you know, what, what gets to a kid to make them so frustrated and, and need to cry out in a way that will get them the support that they need. So, you know, in some ways it wasn't all that different from the criminal stuff, but obviously it's a totally different genre. And I was having, you know, writing for kids is, um, is completely different. Um, not the process, the process is is the same or, you know, much the same, but, um, just trying to get the right voice that will be relatable to kids. You don't want to be an adult talking down to kids. Um, on, on the other hand, you don't want to, you know, my first book, since it was set in a public defender's office and, you know, I'm not proud of this, but we used a lot of faulty language. <laughs> there was a lot of cursing went on in our office. Um, there was a lot of discussion of criminal activity that was, um, you know, not G rated. And for me- middle grade, I really had to tone all that down. Um, I found at the beginning, I had included some things that turned out really not to fly in the middle grade market. And I had to take them out like in the, in the first couple of drafts, the older brother um, one of his methods of escape was that he used to smoke pot. And to me, that didn't seem so terrible. And especially nowadays when that's being legalized <laughs> all over the place, I, I didn't really think that was going to be a problem. But then several agents and publishers said, you know, you, you, you got to take that out. That doesn't fly in, in middle grade. So, um, you know, things like that, things um, trying to keep things on the right um, level. So, yeah, you know what? It was it was um, not so much a decision to depart and do a different genre as it just kind of happened. Um, and I know I feel like that I keep saying that, but I guess that's the kind of personality I have. Things that kind of just happen. Um, but a lot of people had suggested that I write a sequel to Unreasonable Doubts, and I I really felt like I had wrapped up those characters, and I didn't really want to do that. And I had also kind of moved on from that time in my life. I didn't really want to dwell on the office that I had worked in for all those years anymore. I I felt like I needed to move on. And, um, and some friends were taking, again, some friends were taking a class at Sarah Lawrence in writing for children. And they said, I should come along. And I went along. That's what happened. Uh, Serena, I am, I'm fascinated by how things begin. And, you know, one moment there is no, my name is Layla. Mm-hmm. The next moment, there are characters and situations, and this thing starts to form in your brain that that eventually wound up on paper, and we now can hold in our hands. Uh, what was that that first um, bit of story that came to you? Was it was it Layla? Was it a character? Was it a situation? What what was it that ignited the spark that this came from? I would say it was mostly Layla. Um, one of my friends who I was taking the class with uh, is dyslexic. And um, I knew that going into the class, I hadn't really thought too much about it because she's a wonderful writer. It doesn't affect me that she's dyslexic. But um, in one of the classes, uh, we used to read aloud in workshop because people, that's one of the things that you do. <laughs> you read aloud. And, and she had trouble reading aloud. And I, 
I didn't really know that. And I wasn't expecting that. And she explained that it, that's sort of one of the vestiges, you know, she had pretty much um, learned to overcome her dyslexia, but she still has trouble with that sort of thing. And, you know, I started to think like, what, what would it be to have trouble reading or reading aloud or writing? And, and another thing she told us was that sometimes she'd write things, type things out and the spell check wouldn't work because her typing would be so off that spell check didn't even know what she intended to say. And um, I, I'm very reliant on spell check. So <laughs> I found <laughs> kind of alarming, but, um, but just, you know, that sense of frustration, I was really trying to capture that. What would that mean? And I, I guess, you know, part of it for me is that there's definitely like years of my childhood that I, I couldn't really tell you much what went on. You know, if you asked me what went on when you were 10 or what went on when you were 15, I, you know, I couldn't really get back to those years very well in my head. But for some reason, that 13, 14, um, I have a lot of accessible memories. And although they're not of anything, you know, exactly like what Layla goes through in the book, um, you know, they have similarities and they have moments. And, and I guess because maybe they're just sort of universal emotions that people feel um, of frustration or of needing to be heard or of wanting things to be stable. Um, you know, one, I mean, one that's really kind of the big one for me is that when I was 14, um, my father had his first heart attack. He was 51 and he had this very serious heart attack and everybody, um, was quite questioning whether he was going to make it or not. And, th and thank God he did. But, you know, at the time, my, my two older sisters were already away at school. Um, I was there with my mom and it was a really frightening and traumatic time and experience for me. And it really colored everything going forward. It, you know, really made me want to stay close to home for college and for law school. I was always, you know, it was before the days of cell phones. I was always very attuned to being close to a phone. I was always waiting for a phone call that I would have to race somewhere and be by a bedside. And it happened a number of times um, over the years. And, you know, I think that sort of experience, although it's not what Layla experiences, Layla, Layla's dealing with a, you know, a split between her parents and the father is not really around at all. Um, but she has these fantasies about them getting back together and not in some, you know, in a very normal way, you know, just like, yeah. wow, what would it be like if, you know, he was here and he could help me with my problems? What would happen if, you know, she has this recurring dream that she makes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He comes in the middle of the night and they sit at the table and they just talk about her problems and he knows how to fix stuff. And, you know, that, you know, very strong desire for things to just be stable and for th and for the people around you to just, you know, have a uh, normal existence where they can focus on you. <laughs> I yeah. think it's the big thing for kids. And, you know, and I could relate to all of that. So, so now I'm not sure where I got started on this question. <laughs> well, well uh, that, that brings up another question. When um, your experiences um, are, are not exactly what Layla's experiences uh, are or, or were, um, but how difficult was it for you to get in touch with that, that adolescent angst and, uh, you know, those uh, 
the, those feelings that that are so primal when we're that age. Um, yet when we when we can look back and, and we can we can kind of smile, we can think of, you know, what uh, we can look back on ourselves and, and, and see that uh, maybe things weren't as bad as we made them out to be. But you, you really kind of nail down those those emotions and that that immediacy um was that difficult for you to switch uh, gears to get back to to feeling those feelings again yeah it really wasn't that difficult and i don't know what that says about whether <laughs> i've grown up or matured or you know or haven't but um you know and a lot of them like even the thing she has she you know she has a crush on a boy in the in the book and and it's not, you know, a crazy crush. Like it's, it's sweet, but it's, um, and it's very, very innocent, but it's that first realization that like, wow, you know, that there's, there's people out there I might be interested in and they, and they might be interested in me. And I don't know, I don't know why he's interested in me because what do I have that, you know, why isn't he interested in my best friend who's so much better than I am, right? She's a better student and she's got a more normal family or whatever, you know, the kinds of things that you think. Um, but then it turns out what, but actually he is interested in me. And, you know, I think those kinds of inklings and those kind of incipient feelings, you know, you remember all your life. I mean, you know, the, I mean, the funny thing, that's not really funny, but the, the, the quirky thing is that the week my father, um, had his heart attack was actually also the first week that a boy asked me to go to the movies. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I mean, I, I remember him. We didn't really become so friendly afterwards, (laughs) but he asked me this question and I remember being flooded with these emotions. Like, you know, first of all, there were the practical questions. Like, how do you go to the movies when you're 14? Like who, who takes you to the movies? I'm like, does the parent come to the movies with you? Whatever. But, um, you know, but I remember really feeling like this is the beginning of some new aspect of my life. And, you know, whatever it does or doesn't turn into, you know, I'll remember this. And, you know, and humorously for that, like because my father then got sick, I never ended up answering his question (laughs) whether I would go to the movies or not. So that was kind of the end of that. But, um, you know, I think I think if you reach back far enough, you know, there's there's ways to get to these emotions. And and, you know, I I enjoyed going there. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, you know. I would, I would not want to go back to middle school. I think middle school is a tough time of life, <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, it was, it was good to remember those things and to remember how they changed you and how you moved on from there. So, um, and, and my name is Layla is a, is a fantastic, um, look a window into that, uh, that time that we can all connect with and, and hopefully, um, you know, we know someone uh, in that's middle grade age or so that we can pass this book along to. Um, did I did I see, Raina, that you have some new news that uh, a third book is is coming, even though we're you know, this book just released and we're celebrating that. But uh, do is there some more news uh, on the horizon? <laughs> there is some more news. And I I, <laughs> I don't know how this will be received, but I, I have gone back to the New York City legal scene in the third book. Um, it's not a criminal book, so it's more, it's a little bit more of a love story. Um, it's the story of Jackie Martin, who's, uh, an ambitious and kind of savvy attorney who gets appointed as a political payback to the family court as a judge in the family court in New York city. And 
she doesn't have a family of her own. She's totally out of her element. Um, but she kind of approaches it as if she can control everything. She's going to, she's going to impose order on these families. And, um, in the midst of that, she misses that her own relationship, uh, is imploding. So it's fun. It's a fun book. I mean, it's, it's not super heavy. It, it does have quite a dose of law in it. Again, um, I, I, because I used to practice in the family court, I was familiar enough with those kind of cases, I think, to be able to portray those realistically. And, and they're so interesting. You know, there, there's abuse cases, there's, um, there's, a, there's a domestic violence case, there's a delinquency case um, that all came out in the book. And um, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's told in alternating chapters between Jackie and the uh, boyfriend that leaves her. So that's out in October. In October. Fantastic. Well, the new book is called My Name is Layla. It's available everywhere now in Kindle edition or paperback. However you like to read books, you can grab it. Um, Raina, this has been so much fun uh, chatting today. Uh, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Yeah, I would love that. Um, I have a lot of stuff up on my website. It's uh, it's I'm not. <laughs> I can spell all that for you. It's uh, <laughs> Raina, R-E-Y-N-A, Martyr, M-A-R-D-E-R, Genton, G-E-N-T-I-N.com. And I've got, you know, short stories and personal essays and all sorts of stuff up there. Excellent. We'll put links to the website in the uh, show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks. And also we're going to put a link to uh, My Name is Layla as well. And we highly encourage everyone to grab a copy of that. Um, uh, Raina, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you for taking time to come on the show. Thank you. Both Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career, meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one -on -one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden cost, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com